0: and this is Founder Coffee. Every two weeks I have coffee with a different founder. We discuss life, passions, learnings in an intimate talk getting to know the person behind the company. For this 10th episode I talked to David Darmanen, co-founder of Hotjar. His company helps tens of thousands of app and site owners to see how visitors are really using their software and collect more and better user feedback. David runs Hotjar's remote team from Malta, a small island in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. He previously used to build websites, he was a VP of design, and he's now spending most of his time working on people and culture at his famous scale-up company. I chat with David about why he got started, how Hotjar defined its values, why he's not taking VC funding, and how he practically manages his international remote team. Welcome to Founder Coffee. Hi, David. It's great to have you on Founder Coffee. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you uh, on uh, Founder Coffee. Uh, You are a founder of uh, Hotjar, obviously. Uh, For those who don't know yet, or or perhaps don't have a a SaaS company or a website, what does Hotjar exactly do?
1: So, Hotjar is is kind of a group of tools uh, brought together in one solution that allows you to pretty much understand how your site or app is being used. So mm-hmm. you can visualize where people are clicking or how they're scrolling. You can replay the actual experience or see where they're dropping off in the journey. And then you can also ask questions to figure out why um, users, visitors are behaving the way they do.
0: Yeah, and, and why, why do people usually use Hotjar? Uh, what are the problems they're trying to solve?
1: Yeah, typically I'd say there's two two kinds of big groups. Um, there's there's usually like marketers um, or or sales individuals who are trying to to attract visitors to a, a page or a site, um, and and they want to see how they're actually reacting to the content and to the page and the experience, and then what happens after that. Mm-hmm. So in a way, improving the performance of of their spend, of their budget, of their time to get more value out of what they're doing. And then we also have, have uh, product teams and support teams, customer experience teams, who are typically uh, more interested in looking at a returning user or a customer, um, and, and how the experience is unfolding for them and identifying blocking points or pain points, stuff that they can improve.
0: Yeah. So it's, uh, it's all about learning to improve. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Is, is that something you, 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 started from your own experience? Like, like, when did it happen? Like, when did you decide I'm going to start Hotjar?
1: Yeah. It, it, I had, I had worked internally in a, in a software company growing mm-hmm. it. Uh, I, I was there for quite a few years, actually starting off as uh, what was called back then, like an optimization specialist kind of like a designer, all the way to to kind of a VP of design. Um, So I I attended quite a few events, used quite a few tools. So in a way, in many ways, I was the actual kind of user. I I was building, with Hardware, I'm building a solution I wanted back then, right? (laughs) And then after that, I moved on to consult. um, I was consulting quite a few big businesses and also startups. Um, So it was interesting to see my pains also being shared by other companies. Um, and it was interesting to see how they described it and how what they were looking for and their lack of knowledge around how these tools can be powerful. So that's the journey we're on, kind of building that tool for ourselves, but also hopefully changing changing the way change happens, right? That's a big phrase to say, um, and it's mainly because I mentioned before, the hodjar jar allows you to ask questions. So it's kind of this whole idea of, okay, there's analytics and data, but there's also feedback qualitative inputs right with Hodjar, we're trying we're aiming towards combining these two together in a very powerful way yeah so rather than just look at the data actually understand what the hell that data is telling you what's the story
0: yeah yeah we're trying to get feedback in a in a holistic way from people that are not next to you like correct yeah,
1: it's so easy in today's world, right? To get stuck behind the screen,
0: looking yeah. at your
1: graphs and data, and and you're not, or or at least the team is not speaking enough to the users to understand what's really driving that behavior. True,
0: and 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 here it's without really speaking, without looking what the person is doing by sitting next to them, you can actually have an idea of how how the person experiences the the site or yeah. the app. Yeah, yeah. So so what, what was the company you were working at when when is, you were
1: doing design there what were they doing exactly so this was this was this was pre-smartphones right mm-hmm. a bit old when i say that um yeah but uh, basically was uh it was software utilities for pcs so mm-hmm. it was like really really simple basic b2c uh, software for windows os mm-hmm. and then Then I moved on and and that's where I was working for conversion rates experts and that's where I was doing consulting work.
0: Uh Aha, okay. So so it started more from a conversion standpoint.
1: Definitely, definitely.
0: Yeah. But now I imagine it's also more about usability as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I'd say, let's put it this way. I was always a design product UX. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Passionate guy and then... Conversion was kind of where I started to work closer with marketing and bridge the gap between the two. Yeah. But you really start to realize that in today's world, where the experience is everything, right? The, the yeah. way your users talk about you or rate you or review you, that's really what's important. That yeah. maybe a decade ago, maybe it would make sense to use the term hack growth. But in reality, um, as we move forward, growth and optimization really comes from improving the experience right yeah. making it worthy of uh, word of mouth of, of people actually saying that you're doing something amazing because that's that's the only way to win going forward so in many ways, kind of we've built Hodger around that way of thinking, and that's how we mm-hmm. run hodger ourselves so we obviously we do our fair share of inception and eating our own dog food, so yeah. We use Audra to improve Audra, and we try and improve <laughs> it in that way. So rather than testing, right? We've heard a lot about split testing and testing. Rather than testing for the sake of testing, we are always obsessed about our users, our customers, to understand where is the next biggest improvement. And then the test really is the tool you use to measure what you're doing, but it's not, it's not kind of the the means to the end.
0: Yeah. How does that work for you then? Do you have like a, a test environment that you use yourself as uh, like eating <coughs> your own dog foods internally or are you also working on the production environment and it's just the developers testing?
1: No, no, we definitely have a testing environment, but we mm-hmm. also, we do we do something which we internally call feature flagging. Yeah. So we sometimes build things which are only available on our own account. Yeah. And. Um, uh-huh. So, so that allows us to experiment a lot and see if we're actually using it ourselves before we make it available to everyone.
0: Yeah, makes sense. It's something we, we do as well. Uh, it's, it's often uh, easier also then you can uh, just deliver it to a handful of users, see what they think before you basically roll it out to all of them.
1: Yeah.
0: So you mentioned you, um, you, you were into design first. Did you... St- study design. Actually, could you tell us more about your, your, your backstory? Uh, where did you grow up?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a fun story there, actually. So I, I my parents emigrated to Australia from Malta in the, mm-hmm. in, the, in the, I think it was late 70s, 70s. Basically, back then, Malta being a tiny island wasn't going through the best times. A lot of yeah. people left the island. Mm-hmm. My parents went to Australia. <clears throat> my dad there Kind of wanted to create a community, so he bought a small Mac <laughs> yeah. and um, and a and a and a big printer photocopier, so that he could kind of create some 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 cert, some stuff that he could circulate to create a community. Mm-hmm. And that's where I really fell in love. I was quite young, right? But the whole idea of using the interface of that Mac was the that very first Mac Macintosh Plus, um, and also fell in love with the idea of of creating and printing stuff out, and then fast forward this was always my passion ironically so i was i was always doing design but ironically i ended up actually fast forward <laughs> for some reason i ended up doing um i ended up going to law school <laughs> yeah which is which is very funny. But I heard that anyway, before. How does yeah, that happen? Yeah, you have. <laughs> yeah. So, basically, I was I was always very good at languages. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently, I'm quite persuasive. So, everyone, you know, back then, you'd get this career advice, right? Which is, yeah. oh, you, sh- you should go. like and, and, and in Malta, going to law school is kind of the big thing. Like, it's crazy yeah. how many people go to law school. It's just insane. It's just, is it because I it's I a, no a government
0: job then also, if you go to law school?
1: No. No. no, it's just, I think historically, I think it's changing now, but oh, okay. it's just that professions uh, in Malta used to be looked at with, with a lot of respect, right? So yeah. lawyers, doctors, so I was, I was pushed a lot in that direction. But ironically, I pretty much never went to a lecture at university, so I managed to hack my, my way through, I actually got my, doc, my doctorate and warrant and everything. I have no idea how. Mm-hmm. But during that time, I was actually um, always working in design so that i could go out in the weekends I, I started an advertising agency um, oh, okay. so yeah yeah i did i i held su- loads of jobs so i was i was working a lot but that was mainly print back then right so i was doing a lot mm-hmm. of print um and then the big break came when um, a big international client that i was working with was based in 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 Gozo the smaller island close to mm-hmm. Malta um it was this was for the comedian Billy Connolly. Actually, they asked me, "Hey, you did you do amazing print work for us, right? But can you do us a site?" Uh-huh. And I was like, "Of course, of course, I can do a site," <laughs> and um, and I had no clue. Obviously, this was a very long time ago, and um, and that's where it all started. So that's where I just learned enough to be dangerous, right? Played around with some Drupal, ASP, and mm-hmm. unfortunately Flash because the clients wanted to click Flash, <laughs> but that was that was actually the point where i actually built something and it was very frustrating for me to measure mm-hmm. like is what i like what i've built here is it good or is it not good right and it was frustrating to me that i relied on my clients to give me that feedback or yeah. the aspiration would be to try and win an award or something right so mm-hmm. kind of in a way that that's really that's the david we're kind of building hodjar for, especially mm-hmm. We do sell Hotjar to really big clients, but mainly we, we have this vision, which is we'd like to really change the way the web is built and improved to make it more about the user. Mm-hmm. So I think putting this technology into the hands of students, um, small, tiny startups, people just getting going so that they can see, quickly measure what they've created in terms of do the users like it? Is it being used how they thought it they would be used? I yeah. think that's a very powerful thing to have access to.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I actually saw you 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 started a podcast yourself or it's, it's still going to launch? By the time this this will have aired that will have launched already. It will uh, have launched yeah. The Human Strike Back. what's the idea behind the the, the title The Human Strike Back?
1: Yeah, uh, the big idea is kind of again ties a lot to our vision mm-hmm. which is the idea that like we were saying before, right? It's so easy to, to end up stuck behind a, a screen looking at the numbers and the lines, to obsess about doing split tests. Let's mm-hmm. change the layout, let's move the button. But the reality is the only way to truly win, to truly succeed, is to understand the challenges of your users, see what yeah. they're trying to achieve, understand everyone kind of wants to become a better version of themselves, right? Understand the emotional connection to mm-hmm. what they' what to their challenges. And then to basically build around that, right? So, so that's the whole idea of Human Strike Back is that we're interviewing very interesting personalities about their stories of where being human or putting people first, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to just the numbers or the revenue or the metrics. Yeah. Um, put where pe- putting people first actually allowed them to be very successful. And in some of these cases, because they could understand that data in a better way, right? But there's also mm-hmm. there's also going to be some other stories that talk about putting people first, not just from an experience or a business point of view, but also from a personal point of view, uh, the team, culture. Um, so it's it's going to be quite interesting. It's just giving a little bit of visibility to a different way of thinking.
0: Yeah. Cool. Uh, actually, I'm, I'm trying to do a very similar thing with this uh Uh, with this interview series slash podcast uh, because I've seen that many podcasts are about like figures and growth hacks and I don't know what and it's very nice to see like the the people behind it what the actual issues are like the way you are improving your company instead of just uh, like how much MRR you do or something it's uh, great Yeah. yeah it adds so much more I think no
1: absolutely yeah, it's a real story. <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, actually, in, in 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 that sense, like like, what is the kind of culture you are trying to to set at Hotjar? What is the kind of company you're trying to build?
1: Yeah, we we actually when we when we started working together, the co-founders, four of us were based in Malta, though one of us was Swedish, well, mm-hmm. he's still Swedish, <laughs> and and the the. The, the, the other person was based in Sweden, so that's Johan. Um, and even though we were like the four people in Malta were so close to each other, um, we, we still worked remotely together purely mm-hmm. because we knew we were going to be remote. So why did I start with that? Because that definitely underpins a lot of our culture, which is we believe in hire amazing people that um, share the same values we do, even though they might be different to us. So they bring to our culture, but they definitely match, yeah. match our culture. Um, and that definitely has had a big impact on the way we run the company. We believe a lot in, in freedom mm-hmm. and leadership versus management. Yeah. Um, and, and very early on, when we were starting just to hire the first few people, we kind of listed down um, some values that we had to hire around. And this is something I highly recommend that everyone does when you start to hire which is sit down together founders or initial uh, and a group of people running the startup and say what do we value what do we like about the way we work what do we value about each other um, about the way we are and don't be fake right you have to be honest because even even if you're kind of different or unique it's good to embrace that so it's good mm-hmm. not to be influenced so that's what we did for us. It was kind of, we we love to be very lean. We love to be honest, but we value a lot respect. So we we listed all these values down and that was now three years ago, three and a half years ago. So Mm -hmm. now that we're, now the team is, is we're, we're pretty much, I think around 60. So we've come a long way. It's a much bigger team. So we've now brought in a third party. um, And they've actually interviewed the whole team and ask them how they feel about those original values. And it was quite interesting. We had several exercises where people vote about the values they feel the strongest about. Mm-hmm. And we're actually now relaunching new values. We're going to be launching them with the, um, with the team, with the company. As in, they are the ones that created them, right? So we're just yeah. presenting like the, the, the output of the study. And it, now we've, we've brought it down to four simple values Mm-hmm. And each, each of which uh, builds out kind of how that value comes into practice. So we're actually going to be, be blogging about this whole process and these new values as well. So, cool. so that's something that yeah, we'll have on our blog soon.
0: So, you, so you, in the beginning, you said it yourself. Now you reviewed it with the team and something else came out or, or was it, was yeah, it really yeah similar? Definitely.
1: definitely. So that's, that's a good question. So some things we hadn't given enough importance to So they've now come up higher in importance. Mm -hmm. So, for example, we took for granted how transparent we are, Mm -hmm. because that was just our kind of the way we were running things. Right. But it's actually come out as one of the strongest, strongest values we have. Mm -hmm. So now that's become one of these four pillars. Um whereas some things that we had listed weren't really values, we thought they were. <laughs> yeah. And that was part of this process of having a third party look at us from the outside, which I think is very powerful. Because the thing is it's it's very easy to be biased, right, when you do it yourself about yeah. yourself, especially when you're a, a bigger team. Yeah. Yeah. If so, yeah sick- so some things have shifted, and more importantly, it's it's distilling what's there, right, to make it more crystal clear and easier yeah. to share and understand, especially when hiring, and and building out the team to make sure there's fit.
0: Yeah, it must be really difficult if you have sixty people and they're all over the world, uh, not physically together as a team. How do you how do you keep that all in sync?
1: I, I think it's just a mindset situation, isn't? I find it to be much easier Yeah. and the thought, like I was in a, I was in a company in an office altogether and we were 150 people Mm -hmm. and that was just, to me, it was just, Oh, I think that was more complicated than doing it remotely, but that's probably just the the nature of uh, who I've become as well. And what do I mean by that? Right. And when, I think when you're in an office together, there's obviously huge advantages, right? The fact that you can bring everyone together and just talk directly and address mm-hmm. stuff. But I think my gut feeling is that it actually leads to certain political situations as well, of where are you sitting and who is close to whom, and this person is always next to that person. Yeah. Um, and then when you're too big, these people don't speak to that, those people. So, so I think remote offers us an interesting opportunity which is it, it kind of instantly gives you equality, right? As long as your internet mm-hmm. connection is as good as everyone is. <laughs> yeah. like I'm, I'm the same distance, for example, myself as the CEO, I'm the same distance away from everyone in the team. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we all sit next to each other. Um, mm-hmm. And What we found in terms of keeping ourselves in sync is, is, is really, it's a, it, the word is discipline, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, again, when you're in person in an office, I think it's very easy to, to drop the discipline part um, because, again, you kind of take it for granted, but I think with remote, it forces you in a way to be even more disciplined. Now that we're 60, for example, we're doubling down on alignment so that kind of we really write and build together what our priorities are, what we're working on. We're using the model from, from Salesforce called V2MOM. Um, V2 so V2 V2MOM two, number, M-O-N. Yeah. M-O-N. Um, M-O-N, okay. Yeah, any, any team that's grown to over 30, 40 people, um, it's definitely an interesting model to look at. Uh, Mark Benioff created it. It's basically mm-hmm. the idea that every team or nearly every person should have, and the company as well, right, should have vision, values, methods, obstacles, and measures.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And basically, now that we're a bigger group, we're defining these for every team, we're still doing this, but this is going to help us be much better aligned. But then there are simpler things that we do. So every Friday, the whole company manages in one hour to demo what's been done. What's Only what's been done or actually shipped. Then we have company meetings. We have weekly what we call bonfire meetings where we chat and talk. So I think there's always a way to kind of replicate the output. But I think the dangerous thing is when you're remote, you can't think in terms of, Uh, kind of trying to replace what was in physical, but instead to just think in a different way.
0: Yeah. Like for instance, uh, I mean, we also have all these bi-weekly or weekly meetings that that you're mentioning, but we do it physically. And and one of the the main attributes we have in such a meeting is a whiteboard. How do you replace a whiteboard? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, the reality is that so in these weekly meetings, we don't need, really need a whiteboard. So okay. what we do is that everyone who's demoing, we just use mm-hmm. Zoom. Um, okay. And you either share a slide which might have something in it that you want to show the team, or you just share your screen and you show what you've actually built and show how it works.
0: Yeah, so, but I mean, I mean, if you if you have a meeting and you write down points, does somebody share a screen with a Word document or, or a Google yeah, Doc? Perhaps?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah so that's a good question actually because again we take these things for granted so now uh-huh. in our leadership meetings what we do is in the, like we we definitely have this mentality of we don't like make slides and working documents beautified right we hate that yeah. mm-hmm. so everything is super practical and and made for work <laughs> yeah so for example even our slides when we do a leadership meeting we actually put in a box which says um notes or actions or whatever, and these get written in there, and then they get moved to Trello and assigned to the individual. So again, it's all about discipline in the end of the day. But coming back to your whiteboard question, there are teams where they do struggle without a whiteboard, right? Mm -hmm. So um, especially when you're doing stuff like design or you're doing stuff like user experience, but then they're, they're using different tools and different approaches to kind of replicate that. And and we are now looking to actually experiment. I think Google Apps has actually like a, a physical hardware whiteboard, which is digital for sharing, which is something we're going to experiment with as well.
0: Yeah. Cool. I, uh, I looked at uh, funding for Hotjar and I didn't find anything directly. Are you guys funded or are you still bootstrapped?
1: Yeah, it's uh, the reason why we didn't find anything is because we're self-funded. Uh-huh, cool, and uh,
0: I mean, you never thought about picking up funding? No, no, I'm, well, I'm just wondering, no, like,
1: yeah, yeah, we did actually. Um, the, what we mm-hmm. found is that we're we're profitable. Yeah, um, we were profitable very early on. Mm-hmm. We're growing quite well. We definitely do have challenges. But what we found in speaking to some investors is that we do think in a slightly different way yeah. than your typical company, probably because obviously we're profitable and, and, and that's obviously led us to be very nimble and very frugal, right? So careful with mm-hmm. money. So we're always investing slightly behind the curve as opposed to ahead of the curve. Yeah. Um. And obviously, we found that investors want us to be thinking much bigger and, and investing yeah. much more aggressively. Um, and we're we're somehow really big believers in building an actual business <laughs> that yeah. is uh, profitable, right? That makes money. So that's something that we 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 like a lot. So I guess probably we didn't we didn't particularly feel a good fit when we spoke to investors. Probably they didn't feel fit with us as well. Mm-hmm. So I guess. Since we don't really need to raise, um, there's there's no point doing it, right? So we we'll, no, we'll, we'll continue to to think about it going forward. It's it's a funny situation, though. I've I've had a few um, nights thinking about this, right? Because it's interesting, mm-hmm. especially when you have investors chasing you down constantly. There mm-hmm. is this fo- FOMO, right? This fear of missing out. Like, mm-hmm. are we being stupid not doing this? And and most businesses tend to be like on on two extremes, right? One extreme is they raise like crazy, invest like crazy, so that basically no one can compete with you and you pretty much take over the market brute force. Mm -hmm. But that means that you have to move up market enterprise, charge high prices to make up for that waste, right? Mm -hmm. Or the other route is where you uh, kind of take things a little bit, slower more profitable and still it can be growth oriented but that's more kind of like more the base camp mailchimp approach and whatnot Mm -hmm. so it's yeah it's it's i think as a startup when you're growing and you're doing well it's easy to have a little bit of an identity crisis in terms of listen what do we really want to do yeah and i guess going back to the whole remote and freedom we give everyone in the team uh budgets that they they run themselves they have allowances people book their own leave we really value our lifestyle and the way we run the business so given that we're profitable we've decided to stick to that route for now
0: yeah cool what is it that you uh, you, you do exactly at at uh, Hotjar right now like in practice <laughs> daily life
1: that's a good question um, I'd say the main thing I do right now is resist the temptation to interfere <laughs> <laughs> so you sit there all day or uh... no no no. no, interfere in this stuff. The, the, the thing is, as a founder, like I'm, 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 I'm a generalist, right? Mm-hmm. But there's, there's quite a few things that I'm quite experienced at, yeah. right? So um, uh, user experience, uh, obviously conversion rate optimization, copywriting. There's a lot of things that I've been involved quite a lot in, in my career. So when I'm working with the teams, I really, I'm always like excited. I really want to jump in and join mm-hmm. them. But yeah. you start to realize as you grow that being the CEO, that that can be dangerous, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm not, it's very easy to not allow your team to grow, to really own the how of how we're doing things. Um, and plus, when you say something as a CEO, it's taken as that's the way it should be done, right? Mm-hmm. So I'd say the main thing I'm learning about is, is what's the best way to find that balance between letting our teams learn on their own so they can grow um, while also giving input as we go along. So that's something I'm learning um, as we go along. And actually, it's, it's nice, it's exciting to be able to learn this new thing of how, how can you be a leader and help and, 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 and empower others to learn while not interfering, right, and telling yeah. them what to do. So that's, that's a really interesting challenge for me. But besides that, I'd say my biggest focus is definitely people and culture. That is my top priority, um, mm-hmm. Especially now that we're hiring also for some more, uh, let's, let's say, more specialized roles. So, director of sales, key roles in marketing, key roles in products. So, so, hiring is definitely my top priority, right? So, finding people that can do a much better job than me, so then I'll definitely resist the temptation to interfere. <laughs> yeah. um, and then just general running of the business, right? So, um, in terms of looking at finance, leadership, um, prioritizing what we should work on next. I'm still very deeply inv- involved in product and the, and I always will be. So mm-hmm. the roadmap for Hardjar and what we're building for the future, speaking to customers, that's that's really what I'm focused on. And then the final piece is I'm the only C-level member of, of the team. So I'm very, very public facing. So mm-hmm. when it comes to stuff around privacy or anything related to security, I'm the one who goes out there and speaks to to the market to our customers about any challenges or opportunities or stuff that we're doing.
0: Yeah, and you get on podcasts and stuff.
1: Yeah, exactly, that's the more fun <laughs> part. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you you
0: seem to be very uh, excited by the products and building the company. Or is yes. that? Yeah, definitely.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So you 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 kind of feel like a like a builder, or what is it that that actually gives you energy while building Hotjar? Or-
1: that's a good question, and th- there are ups and downs, right? So definitely, the journey is a tough one, mm-hmm. and there's many there's many, let's say, tough moments as you go along on the journey. I think you know that as well, uh, and that's why I tell many. Younger startups that I advise or or like help out don't get paid doing it. It's typically just giving some advice. Mm-hmm. Is that if if it's really really difficult in the beginning when you start, um, then you should definitely be consider that as a negative, right, towards the business you're trying to create, because things do get tougher and tougher over time. Um, so it's it's like you 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 can't be in the very early months and years like really struggling to sell or to build what you're trying to do because if that is too difficult, later on scaling that's just going to compound. Um, you think so things think, get tougher? Mm-hmm.
0: I actually think the opposite. I think you're, you're, to say it with the words of, I don't, I forgot his name, um, is uh, you, you get better problems. Like you always have problems. But they kind of improve. They they might they might get bigger, of course. I mean, a bigger scale. Uh, but 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 many things just get easier as well.
1: They do, and um, and maybe I didn't explain myself well. Mm-hmm. The, the 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 diversity of problems change, right? Yeah. So my point is, as you grow, your focus shifts more and more to other diverse type of problems, right? Yeah, they do. Um, yeah. So whether that's people or hiring or um i don't know regularity legal so mm-hmm. there's so many things that then you need to add on top especially as you start to break through um like a, a, like what i call like the visibility threshold mm-hmm. <laughs> like as a company starts to become where, where you reach the brand level right so yeah some people say that you reach brand. i, I don't know why they use arr right but Um, And it's like when you hit 10 million ARR and you start to to become more visible to the outside world. And that's where things, things do become more complicated, right? Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. In terms of growing the business, definitely things do become easier because people are more aware of you. So more people are applying, but things do get more complex, right? Mm -hmm. So my point is that if it's already tough, very tough in the beginning, to sustain and grow and, and and kind of, you're already getting stuck later on when you add those complexities to it, like it's good to remember that eventually you're going to need to shift your focus away from that stuff to the newer problems. Right? Mm-hmm. So in a way what you're building definitely has to have a little bit of a life of its own and its own trajectory, if you know what I mean? Yeah. As opposed definitely. to someone who's selling manually one deal after the other, you know what I mean? Then, hiring yeah. people to just sell manually constantly. Um, because eventually, when you start then adding um, the other complexities to all that, that's where it's so easy to burn out and lose it. So, so I'd yeah. say, to come back to the original question, there's definitely been ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the energy you need varies at different stages, right? Um, mm-hmm. But I think, I think that's where our purpose and our vision I realize have been so important to us mm-hmm. because even though we're only four years in, it feels like it's much longer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and the vision and our purpose, that's what's really keeps the fire, uh, um, alight. Right. So, cause we know that we, in terms of the product, what we've built and what we're doing, we are literally at the very beginning. We have barely started, mm-hmm. but if we didn't have that, I can see now how it could be so easy to make it just about the product. And how easy it is to get tired of it all if you know what i mean so that's why yeah. it's so important to have that purpose and that vision
0: yeah you just uh you just uh briefly mentioned the risk of of burnout uh how how do you guys manage this how do you uh n- not get a burnout basically
1: <laughs> that's a good question <laughs> um yeah it's but what we've done is that we definitely we definitely do give um, a good amount of vacation leave and we encourage it a lot. Mm-hmm. End of last year, we were actually shaming people who are not taking breaks. So we oh. have like a leaderboard of people who don't take breaks. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think that that is the most basic and most important one. Mm-hmm. Um, then again, we also check in with everyone quite regularly. We use 15.5, which is a great tool mm-hmm. to see how everyone is feeling and how everyone is doing. But in reality, I think it really comes down to not pushing oneself, right? And being realistic about what can or cannot be done. Yeah. Um, so we definitely have had circumstances of people that were close to the limit. And mm. I'm very proud that even though we don't have a specific system or tool in place for it, our existing systems and people have noticed these things and we've tackled them, right? Yeah. Um, but again, when you're bootstrap, self-funded, you are hiring when things are more a little bit breaking, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So we, so ironically, you you are a little bit more prone to pushing things a little bit more over the limit. Um, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. Especially, I, I,
1: I think you're fine. So good.
0: Yeah, but as you're working remote, it's uh the I I guess the the the, the barrier between uh, work and life is also less apparent if you work from Agreed. the kitchen table.
1: Agreed. And in fact, what we've done around this is we've introduced a few allowances our drive. so for one for example while we we give i think it's around 4000 euros to set up your home office budget so that's equipment mm-hmm. or chair or desk then we also have a monthly what we call working space allowance that can be used if you want to go work in a cafe or in a in a co-working space um or if you just need to get stuff at home to be able to kind of um just um, basically have a, a nicer environment, um, mm-hmm. but then we also have stuff like a holiday budget. We now this year introduced a co-working budget, so you can fly out or travel by train to go work next to someone you live close to, oh, that's cool. or far away, or or if you have little kids and you can't travel, you can use that fund to fly in people to work with you. Um, huh. So yeah, and then we also have a wellness budget, which can be used towards maybe even a therapist or going to the gym. So we actually realized that the key is to, to have a compensation to our employees and contractors that is not only um, monetary, but in mm-hmm. a way, by having these allowances and budgets, we kind of, in a way, force our team to, to kind of utilize these resources, right? And mm-hmm. I've had... It, it's been really amazing to have someone actually who's based in San Francisco <laughs> working yeah. for Roger. And he said, Oh my God, like, like the way you've done it and structured these allowances and everything. We, we love it because we've never used these things or done these things before. Cause obviously we're being careful. We have a young family, but I can see the impact of, of, of doing this. Yeah. Um, and also we have like a few people who are in the U S they're obviously a minority. Yeah. Um, and they don't spend that much. Uh, obviously, they don't have as much time as other team members overlapping with the rest of the team. Mm-hmm. But it was nice to see. Now we introduced the co-working space model. And they all flew out to meet one of the team members who was in Mexico to spend time together. And you can see the impact of having this in place, right? It builds up rapport and, and people get out of their their homes. Um, mm-hmm. But we also do sessions uh, this bonfire I talked about where we talk about... What are the negatives and positives of remote? And we share tips about how to break up our day. But I agree, it is definitely a challenge. There is, Mm -hmm. again, a lot of self-discipline that is required.
0: Yeah. About the American colleagues, I was wondering, do they have the same amount of holidays as the European ones?
1: Yes, yes. So what we've done is, um, they love it, obviously. Yeah. (laughs) What we've done is... (laughs) We took quite a lot of our benefits and, um, and, and allowances and all these things that we offer, a lot of them have evolved iteratively over time, right? So we're lean even in doing that. But mm-hmm. essentially what we found was that as we have, we I think we're now 60 people from, I think, around 17 countries or something like that. Mm-hmm. So especially when it comes to public holidays um, and, and sick leave and, and parental leave, every country has different... Yeah. Uh, amounts right uh-huh. so what we did was we said, okay screw public holidays we're going to give everyone uh, forty days of um, leave, right okay. now you can and, and that means if you want to be off in your country on your public holiday you have to book that okay which means you inform the team right and and what's great about that I found is that I like I don't particularly enjoy taking public holidays in Malta, so that mm-hmm. means I actually take rest when I need it, as opposed to when the government decided I should rest. Yeah. Um, and then and then on the back of that, we 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 set quite high amounts of parental leave and sick leave and all these things, and then we mm-hmm. also allow people to take uh, unpaid leave as well for as long as they want. So so there's we've we've put. Together, a structure which works independent of the countries, and then everything works out of what we call this what we call the team manual. So that's yeah. what we put all these rules together.
0: But many many countries have specific rules about like um, yeah, public holidays for instance. Uh, you you need to take them or parental leave is that amount of time. You just manage to to build a system that spans all the countries and is compliant to all of them.
1: Yeah, the reality is that in in what we have in most countries are contractors, right, not employees. Oh, okay. So yeah. exactly. So they would be kind of self-employed. That makes it easier, yeah. That, that makes it much easier. Um, and, and that obviously, again, allows us to have the structure. But in, in, in choosing the numbers for parental leave and leave and everything, we've made sure to cover pretty much every country, even the most ambitious ones to make sure that kind of um, we're covered right? Across the board. And one thing that we do, by the way, is parental leave is we give the same amount of leave to both mothers and fathers, which is something that we're quite Mm -hmm. uh, passionate about, right? If you have, if you're lucky enough to have a little, um, a little one joining the family, I think fathers, we should have the same right as well, right? To enjoy them and enjoy that special time as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. In terms of time, like, uh, how how many hours do you work per day for Hajar?
1: That's a good question. the The lines are definitely quite blurry, right? As mm-hmm. the CEO, I don't have many people to take care of me and 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 <laughs> yeah. my burnout or 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 division of time. So I think earlier on it was I used to work much much longer hours. It was a little bit too too much. Mm-hmm. Um, now I have two two young kids. One is going to be four tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and the other Rest. one is one going to be, thank you, it's going to be two in June. So I'm, I actually use my calendar. So every day, for example, at six o'clock, I have um, a three hour block dinner. <laughs> yeah. And which means no one can book anything, actually stand up and leave. But that's so a Maltese think,
0: dinner then, three hours.
1: Yeah, no, It's it's mainly, it means feeding the kids. It means... Uh, taking care yeah, of yeah. them afterwards, putting them to sleep and all that stuff, right? So mm-hmm. just making sure I stay involved. But yep. I'd say roughly it's 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 not that extreme. Probably I'm working around 50, 60 hours a week right now. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: it's better than being a strategy consultant.
1: <laughs> I'm not sure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure.
1: <laughs> uh, where where are you actually based because you you mentioned australia and malta No, i'm based in malta now so my wife yeah my wife is swedish she loves malta and the weather we have here uh uh-huh, yeah, um, and yeah and we have all our family here so so we love being here many people mm-hmm. think that we're in malta for tax reasons but actually that's not the case no. <laughs> as as maltese entrepreneurs we actually pay a relatively high high tax european yeah, standard yeah yeah i think it's I think corporate tax here is around 35%. Um, oh. So we're, it's, it's, we're not complaining, right? But it's, it's just interesting that Malta has created a reputation for itself as being like um, a tax optimization place, but it's, it's not the case for us. Is,
0: is, is the company also based in Malta then? or Because you mentioned corporate yes, yes. taxes.
1: It's, yeah,
0: it's a Maltese trading company. Yeah. Ah, okay. Is, are there any, any other cool companies actually in Malta? Or is it, is it just you guys?
1: Um there are a few cool companies in Malta but pro- in very diverse industries though so yeah
0: not so much in the in the same uh, the same sphere
1: Yeah like, yeah So uh,
0: do you do you find any local talent or or again is that just you
1: It's no we do we have found local talent mm-hmm. but it's we don't we don't think of it as local if you know what i mean Yeah yeah, yeah. so so to That's... us it's just like it's another country, so we might find people in Malta, but it doesn't make much of a difference. Yeah. In Malta, we do have though, like a, uh, what we call a lounge, like mm-hmm. it's kind of an HQ, um, where basically we can do meetings and stuff. But no one has a desk or an office or or anything, so yeah. we typically hang out there is like on hang out there on Wednesdays or Fridays.
0: The, the, ha, have uh, members of the team? I mean do you often do things in Malta with the team or do people generally stay around where they are?
1: Sometimes people come into Malta, especially if someone new joins the team, Mm -hmm. they might, we might do a meeting here. Sometimes we do meetups, but we're actually moving away from doing that. Malta is not the most optimal traveling place. It Mm -hmm. typically requires like a a stop. So for example, now we have a leadership meeting coming up in May. We're all going to meet in London. Because oh, okay. it's one central location we all fly in. But then again, we, uh, twice a year, we do a, a whole company meetup, retreat. Um, and the next one coming up in June is actually in Malta. It hadn't happened in, I think, two and a half years. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it's going to be in Malta. Last, cool. last one in December was um, in, in the Alps. And the one before that was in Spain, oh. Marbella.
0: Mm-hmm. That's nice. Well, slowly wrapping up. Um, what's the latest good book you've read and why did you choose to read it?
1: Oh, that's a difficult one. I, yeah. I, I read quite yeah, I read quite a lot of books. Mm-hmm. Um, but let me just the latest make sure good let, one. Let me Well, I'm a big fan of Radical Candor. It's a, it's a great book that we've used to improve the way we give feedback to each other within the company. Mm-hmm. And we've also done done training about it but I was recently speaking at an event in Stockholm um, and I decided on the way there that I wanted to improve the way I present. So I read the book. I, I'm sure you've heard of Ted talks, right? But yeah. um, there's actually a book called Ted talks and it's kind of the official guide to public speaking. That was mm-hmm. a, quite a good book.
0: Yeah. 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 I, I've, I've heard talking about it a lot, but I haven't read it myself yet.
1: Yeah. I highly recommend it for anyone who wants to be presenting.
0: So candor and detox. Yes. Yeah, candor, it's, it's very related to, to your values also, I guess. The, Absolutely, yeah. The transparency value you were mentioning. Got it. Last question. Uh, if you were to start over with Hotjar, what would you have done differently?
1: Oh, I hate this question.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's why I ask it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I hate it because the reality is I'm quite the perfectionist, right? So if I go back, I would do a lot of things differently. The problem is whether we would succeed or not, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, Like whether I'd screw it up or not. I'd Mm -hmm. say definitely, definitely, I would say I would have wanted to spend more time, um, a little bit more time in beta, a little Mm. bit more time defining and, and designing what the product would be in the future so that we would... Like, over the last year, we've moved a little bit slower because we've had to re-architect, re-engineer the back end, mm-hmm. um, and that could have been p- potentially avoided. Having yeah. said that, that could have easily meant that we missed this perfect time window within which we launched, right? And then we mm-hmm. wouldn't have been as successful. So it's always difficult. But I'd say definitely, I'd say it's, it's this really difficult balance when you launch about... Build something quick to go to market quickly or mm-hmm. or build something a little bit more complex, uh, thinking more of of future growth yeah and and I say that like carefully because a previous startup we did we spent quite a lot of time building up front mm-hmm. but then but then we actually didn 't succeed because we spent too much time building in terms of val- instead of validating, and that 's why I said I would have run the beta longer we had an yeah, yeah. eight, eight, 8-9 month beta I think we could have easily done a year or a year and a half
0: so more learning so that in the long term you get better results with your product
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: agreed cool thank you again David for being on Founder Coffee it was
1: super been, interesting. A, pleasure. been a pleasure great <laughs> questions man
0: <laughs> thank you that's it for this episode of Founder Coffee we hope you liked it let the world know if you did thanks for listening guys